There's something so intriguing about the empty tomb. I know many of us would like to have perhaps been there that early Sunday morning to have witnessed the Lord's leaving of that grave. Thankfully, we have the words of the Apostle John, an eyewitness to the Lord's resurrection. Not only an eyewitness of that, but also that of his crucifixion. Sadness was in the hearts of those people because of the callous crucifixion of Christ on the cross. There were tears, there was heartache, there was defeat in the minds of those who were those witnesses. But three days later, how things change. How you go from the sadness to the joy to the happiness that's a part of it. For the past six months, we have been studying the book of John. We're now to chapter 20. And chapter 20 captures the emotions, the expectations of these disciples. When I read John 20, John is not writing in a sad, somber tone, but he's focusing our minds on the greatness of what occurred that day. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at three major things as we survey John chapter 20. We're going to begin with those first ten verses where we'll see the people are dejected, they're disturbed. We'll see the sadness of the, the hearts of those women who came to the tomb. And then the disciples in verses 11 through 25, we'll look at the doubt and the disbelief. Would you believe the message that Jesus is now risen from the grave if someone were to tell you that? Then in verses 26 through 31, a demonstration and a delight in that Jesus was proved to be risen from the dead. Let's begin. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to John 20. We're going to read these first ten verses. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord away and uh, out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he... Stooping down, looked in and saw the linen cloths lying there, and yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. 
Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then his disciples went away again to their own homes. Let me make a few observations from these first ten verses. It was very early on Sunday morning. You see, Jesus was crucified and died about three o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. And now here it is, early on Sunday morning. In fact, John tells us it's still dark when Mary Magdalene makes her journey to the tomb. According to Mark 16 and verse 2, very early in the morning. Luke 24, 1, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning. It's not something you'd want to miss. These women are up early. They have a job to do. What they have planned to do is to bring spices to anoint the body of Jesus. You see, in the first century, they didn't have the same kind of embalming techniques that we use today. Generally, what the Jews would do would be to pack the body with all kinds of spices and to keep the body from basically smelling bad. We learn from Mark 16 and verse 1, Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, mother, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. You see, in back in John 19, we studied about what Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea did. When they came, they brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds. They took the body of Jesus, bound it in strips of linen with spices, as is the custom of the Jews to bury. You see, they, they wanted to preserve in a very respectful way the decomposition of the Lord's body, but it did not decompose. The Lord's body did not go through that process of corruption. We learn from Matthew's account that an angel rolled the stone away. Matthew says, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Or oh, do you see the picture? Do you visualize? Here's an angel coming down, rolling that huge stone away. No man could do that easily. The guards see it and they're afraid. They're fearful of what is taking place. What did the women think had happened? If you read the text, it says, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. They thought someone had come and stolen the body of Jesus. What did the apostles think? Luke's account in Luke 24, verses 9 through 11, gives you a little bit of insight. 
Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. You see, in their minds, it's not something that was normal. These people were disturbed. They're distraught. The Savior who has walked with them, talked with them, they believe is dead. And they're discouraged. You know, as I try to put myself there, imagine the sorrow of Jesus' death. But then I want you to imagine the the compounded sorrow of thinking that someone had stolen his body away. I want you to imagine a friend or maybe a family member of yours dies tragically. And then you go to the cemetery and you go through that grieving process of, of placing that body in the ground. And then you go the next day after that and you're going to put some flowers on the tomb and you see that the tomb has been opened. The vault has been opened. The casket is opened and there's no body in there. And you ask the question, who would do such a thing? Why would someone steal the body? Can you imagine the sorrow? Where is my loved one? What happened to them? These people are distraught. They're disturbed. They're dejected because of all that's happened. Now, let's look at verses 11 through 25. I know this is a rather lengthy reading, but it describes the doubt and the disbelief that takes place in the hearts and the minds of these ones who come. But Mary stood by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked inside the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, one at the head and other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away the Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbi, which is to say teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. 
But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut and the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said again to them, Peace to you, and the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, the conversation that takes place between Mary Magdalene and Jesus and the conversation that takes place between the apostles is recorded in the other accounts as well. John's purpose is not to give us every detail. John's purpose is to try to help us see what was going on in the minds of these people as this event occurred. When you go to Matthew and Luke's account, you learn that there was more than one angel. There was actually two. There Matthew records, but the angel said, answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. I want you to notice verse 8. So they went quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Luke tells us, it happens they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. You see, each of the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, provide for us just a little bit of extra detail that goes along in this to help us to see actually that there's two angels there. One of them evidently is the primary spokesman. And they told these message from these women to the apostles. 
when Mary Magdalene goes and provides the message along with these other women, Peter and John come. And what's interesting, if you read John's account, he talks about Peter and John running to the tomb. They want to see what's happening. John evidently is faster than Peter. He arrives first. He stoops down. He looks into the tomb. He sees those linen cloths that Nicodemus and Joseph have used to wrap the body of Jesus with those spices. He also sees that the handkerchief, the, the one piece of cloth that was over the face of Jesus, it was folded up. It was placed over there by itself. What's interesting, though, is they did not remember the Scripture. For as yet they did not know the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. That perplexes me. You know, here they are. Jesus has been teaching about what he was going to endure. That he was going to be placed in that tomb. That he was going to rise again the third day. But they didn't remember the scripture. But you know, I know there's times in most of our lives when we're going through a period of mental anguish. We're going through a period of time when things are not right and someone says, well, did you remember? Oh, I forgot that. These people are living in doubt and disbelief. They can't believe what's taking place. They are not remembering the scriptures. Now, John goes on to tell us that there's another gathering that takes place that afternoon, after the message has been told to them that Jesus has risen from the dead, they're going to gather together in this room with the door shut. They're afraid of the Jews. And what's going to take place? The Lord appears and he rebukes them. Here's the Lord. He's come in, but what's his message to them? Mark 16, 14. Later, as they appeared to the eleven, as they sat at the table, he rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Mary Magdalene, these other women have come in and said, the Lord has risen. We don't believe it. These twelve, don't believe it. They're troubled and they have their doubts. Listen to Luke's account. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still not did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? I want you to notice. He says, I want you guys to look at me. 
I want you to see me. Luke says they were terrified and frightened in verse 37. In verse 41, he says they had trouble believing for joy. I just can't believe my eyes. John tells us that Thomas follows. He's not present when the disciples first gathered together. I don't know where Thomas was. I don't know why he wasn't present. But if you go to verses 24 and 25, he says, Unless I put my finger into the prints of his hands and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. Let me ask you the question, would you believe? You're one of the twelve. You're one of those disciples. And the message comes, he has risen from the dead. Part of you might say, well, I I hope I would. But imagine the sorrow and the difficulty of heart. Now we get to the last section. We get to verses 26 through 31. And oh, how powerful this section really is. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Verses 30 and 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and and that believing you may have life in his name. Thomas got his proof. He doubted. He said, I've got to put my fingers into the nail prints. I've got to put my hand in his side. Jesus said, do it, Thomas. The Lord had already provided that same sort of proof to the other disciples. And just like he rebuked them for their disbelief, Now he rebukes Thomas for the same thing. It's possible to see and believe, and it's possible to not see and believe. In fact, some of us might say, why doesn't the Lord just show each of us? Why doesn't he come here to us and let each of us put our fingers in the prince?" in his hands why doesn't he come and allow us to put our hand in his side you see these 12 men had a special place you remember when the Lord breathed on them and said to them to receive the Holy Spirit that draws your mind back to the time when they were in Caesarea Philippi when the Lord said to Peter 
Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Verse 18. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here he tells them, whoever sins you forgive will be forgiven, whoever sins you retain will be retained. You see, the Lord is preparing these 12 men to be witnesses authoritative witnesses. He will tell them in Acts 1 and verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We walk by faith and not by sight because we believe the testimony of those credible witnesses The writer of the book of Hebrews says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When I get to verses 30 and 31, the written word of the life of Christ is provided so that you and I can believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God. Someone says, I wish I could be able to see it. Oh, you don't need to do that. You have got a Bible. That gives you four different perspectives of the same event. You've got the testimony of credible witnesses to tell you what occurred on that day. And they were written so that you and I could believe that you and I could have life in His name. You know, if you go all the way back to John 1 and verse 12, He says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You and I today can believe in the name of Jesus Christ. We can believe that he is the Son of God. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, John writes, And this is the testimony. Testimony is what a witness gives. That God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has a Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Do you see the big picture here, folks? The big picture is that when you read John's account, he's trying to persuade you, trying to persuade me, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing in Him we may have life in His name. John captures the emotions that Jesus spoke of back in chapter 16. He said, most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. I want you to imagine those 12 men as they sat at the foot of the cross. 
as they saw Jesus drop his head and give up the ghost when he said, it is finished. And how their hearts must have ached for those three days until the word was brought, he's not here, he's risen. And they go for themselves and they see the empty tomb. And then they see the Lord himself. How things change. You and I remember that death that he died on the cross every Lord's Day. When we partake of the Lord's Supper as we did just a few minutes ago. But we also eagerly anticipate his return. Because you see, the Lord is coming back. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, As it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this a judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly await for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. You know, if the Lord were to come right now, I'm not talking about 10 minutes now, right now, There would be some whose faces would bream with joy and happiness. He's here. Salvation is here. But I'm fearful that some would have to hang their head and say, I hadn't yet obeyed the gospel and I don't now have an opportunity. The Lord is here. My fate is sealed. In John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life, those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. What a privilege you and I have right now that the Lord has spared us to this good moment in time. If you need to become a Christian, you can today. If you believe that He's the Son of God, that He is the Christ, come forward. You can stand before this audience and make that good confession and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you can leave here knowing that you are right with God and that if Jesus were to return or you were to die, you'd be ready for Him in judgment. majority of our audience are Christians. I don't know the hearts and the minds of each one, but I would presume in an audience like this that there's probably somebody, maybe several, who have looked at their own spiritual state before the Lord and say, you know what, I'm embarrassed about who I have become. I've allowed sin to take hold on me and I now am not ready for the Lord's return. In fact, I need to do something about it. You can do that today. You don't have to carry on that burden of sin. We can pray with you because we serve a merciful God. If you need to respond, please come together as we stand and sing.